Our next guests are the co-hosts of the very popular radio program entitled The Big Show. The Big Show. This is The Big Show. They call me Hollywood. Here come The Big Show. Big Show. show. Ladies and gentlemen, The Big Show. It's a big show. Is everybody ready? Uh Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on. I know you can hear me. It's hump day. Woo-woo! Hump day? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. It's The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, thank you very much for making us a part of your Wednesday. How's it going over there, Gordo? It's going well for me. Hope it's going well for you, Jake. You uh, tired of the rain yet? Yes. Yes, I know. I know. We need it and all that, but uh, yeah, I'm a... Uh, how about uh, moderation in all things? You know what? I like it because I haven't turned on my sprinklers yet. And that costs money. Okay. So all this right. is good. No, I I'm know saving, the real... Mother the Nature real is saving re- me money. The real reason is that you're trying to put off the allergy season. Uh, yeah. That's what's it, really going on I here. know. And the sad part is it's going to be even worse because of all this uh, moisture. <laughs> so it's going <laughs> to stir all that stuff up yeah. more. But today's good. So, you know, living the dream. It, it's good to see you. We have a lot to do today. You're, wearing, you're resplendent in tie-dyed over there. Yeah. Figured I'd go with the tie-dye today. Yeah, nice. I uh, appreciate that. That's yeah. what, is that? Never a bad day for tie-dye, Gordon. <laughs> You're living in the 60s, man. I've got a lot of tie-dye stuff. How come? I like it. Uh, most guys your age, I bet that surprises. Your your buddies don't have tie-dyed stuff, do they? Uh, some do. My really? brother does. Well, I mean, yeah, well, you guys are related. Uh-huh. We're, we're tie-dye people. We like it. Why? Where'd it come from? I don't know. What do you mean, where'd it come no, from? Where did this, where did where, this where, love You of, wear jeans. Where no, did that, no, no. I mean, yeah, but you don't see that many people are really into the whole tie-dye thing. And maybe that's part of the reason we like it. Okay. All right. You know, it's unique. It's us. All right. Uh, for for my wedding with the, the pocket squares, my brother tie-dyed the pocket square for uh, for our wedding, which I thought was pretty cool. I don't remember that. Huh. You think that's something I would have remembered? Yeah, he, he did a good job. Oh, well. Uh, well that's good. It's, uh, it's, it's how you roll. It is how I roll. So, if you could pick out one thing that distinguishes you from a from a uh, you know an appearance standpoint, would it be the tie dyed look? Uh, yeah, probably. More than anything else, I wear those flat caps a lot. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you wear those well. That's a good look for you. Yeah. So, I don't know. all right, doing my thing. Okay. I like cardigans. What about you? Oh, uh, just comfort comfortable. I'd, I'd go I'm with built your for comfort. I'd go with your hats. Yeah, I mean, whatever. You wear a variety of hats, and all of them seem to be beat up and old. <laughs> Not all of them, just some of them. Most of them. <laughs> you got your Maui Jim going today. You got my Maui Jim hat? Yep, I'm right. making it happen. So now that you've described my wardrobe. Uh, <laughs> oh, you look very stylish. We're going to talk to Stuart Mandel today of The Athletic, coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. One of the best college football writers out there. College sports writers out there is going to be on the show. We'll ask him about what's going on uh, with the Pac-12, and we'll we'll get his thoughts on what's happening with the Utes and the Cougs. Maybe even mix in a little Aggies as well. But uh, very much looking forward to that. Yes. And then David Locke will join us at the top of the five o'clock hour. We'll talk to him about NBA playoffs, NBA offseason. And you and never know where those discussions are going to go. 
Yeah, off I mean, season, really, off season lock. I think he gets. You, could you know, be renaissance. You know, just anything. You never know what you're going to yeah. get to with him. So he's uh, he's going to be on the show coming up at the top of the five o'clock hour. We'll talk about the game last night. Talk about some good news for Rudy Gobert today. Kyle Korver told an interesting anecdote in his commencement <laughs> address at Creighton University. We'll have to get into that. Um, the newest uh, the newest story involving the Lakers has a current player accidentally insulting the coach. We're going to have to talk about that. My good friend Bill Plasky went after Magic pretty good. Well, Magic yeah. kind of deserves it, no? Yeah. I mean, Buck obviously didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> Nor did he really care, I don't think. No, I don't think he did either. <laughs> when you hire somebody and they don't really know what they're doing and they don't really care, you may have made a, an error in judgment. Like Whoa. Phil, like Phil Jackson with the Knicks, where he tried to spend like what, like three quarters of his time in, in Montana. Montana. <laughs> I think he spent some time out the beach in L.A. too. Yeah, right. Anywhere but New York, running the Knicks. So yeah, I think there is some logic there. So we can get to it all. There's all we were talking about it before uh, we came on the air. There's a lot of little stuff to get to today. Yeah, yeah, a lot of little interesting things, tidbits, Scooby snacks, Scooby snacks. Did you ever watch Scooby Doo? I did. Uh-huh. I had a uh, my uh, my dog had a puppy when I was a kid, and we named him Scooby. That's cool. Yeah. That's. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> well, I thought of Scooby Doo. That's really, really interesting to no one. <laughs> okay, you're probably right about that. I had a dog. We called it Scooby. It was a puppy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know? Oh, what was the name of your first dog? Loggins. Oh yeah, that's right. Loggins and Messina. Yeah, my my parent or my mom, I guess, when she got the dog, was a big fan. Mm. All right, all right, lots to do. Let's go ahead and get to it. It's time for the split story of the day. Two guys, two topics, two, two, two. two opinions. You talk, give me two. This is the split story of the day on 975-1280 the zone. And the zone sports network. Leonard in the lane, jams it down. And a foul on Giannis. Kawhi says I got two. And Giannis has given me a coupon for one more. Drives on Ilyasova. Kick out Leonard. Three. Good! Down the bottom of the well for Leonard. Timeout, Milwaukee. Toronto will even the series. They win it 120 to 102. We'll see you in Milwaukee on Thursday night. We needed it. Um, we, like I said, we haven't had. I think this may be our third game of the playoffs where everyone's like, you know, kind of stepped up and played, scored, and, and did some things well. But this is one of the nights that you know we knew Kawhi was a little bit limited, and uh, we had to come out and be aggressive for him. Obviously, we got to take it of home. Uh, it's our job, but uh, I don't think there's pressure. You know, we just got to go out there, have fun, play good basketball, be us, and try to win. All right, Gordon, the Raptors, my Raptors, even yes. up the series with the Milwaukee Bucks, 120-102 to 102 last feel, night. You feel a little better about your pick? You know what? I do, and I'll tell you why. Because the Raptors' bench really showed up. Yes, and that was did. what was really worrying me about Toronto was that Milwaukee was a lot deeper. And they, they still are, but they got terrific performances. off the bench? Was that, did I get that number right? By three guys. Uh, Powell had 18, Ibaka had 17, and Van Vliet had uh, 13. Yeah. Yeah. And for the one of the first times, I think for the first time in this series, I saw a game where both teams played better. Didn't you think that? 
I did, even though Kawhi didn't have one of his better games because, uh, you know. He's limited. I suppose. He looks like he's limited out yeah, there. he does. He is. He only had 19 points, but he only shot the ball 13 times. But it wasn't that that uh, it wasn't that mess that we saw in a couple of previous games. I mean, they were at least making some shots. And I know sometimes that I I err on the side of offense, you know. And and if both teams shoot under 40 percent, and uh, you you you'd say, oh, they weren't making their shots. Well, maybe the defense was better. But last night they started to make their shots a little more. I don't know. It was just a more aesthetically pleasing game, even though uh, you know uh, it was a sizable margin of victory for the Raptors. And Giannis played all right. He had 25 points, 9 of 17 shooting. Middleton had a big-time bounce-back game with 30 points, but they just couldn't get much out of anybody else. And I, I like the way that uh, Toronto is defending Giannis with that wall, and they're yeah. going to make his teammates – uh, beat him. I think that's that's certainly what you've got to do with uh, with Milwaukee. And Middleton was was great, but the rest of the team, Gordon, woof. Well, e- Eric Bledsoe with only five points, two yeah. of seven shooting. I mean, they need way more out of that guy. Yes, they do. And and a particular player that seems to come under fire quite frequently in the postseason, Lowry. He played pretty well. He was terrific. Yeah. He's an important player for them. Just like, honestly, just like Bledsoe is for the Bucks. I mean, they need performance out of those point guards. And uh, and Toronto got it, and Milwaukee didn't. And Marcus Gasol had his uh, best game maybe of the entire playoffs, but certainly was... in this series. And they're running their offense more through him now that Kawhi is, is a little limited. And I think it's it's kind of been a curveball for Milwaukee that they haven't adjusted to. In a couple of games, I've really wondered whether Marcus Gasol had, was, had run out of gas. You know? Yep. He's been a terrific player through his career. And there were a couple of games there where I'm watching him and I'm going, that does not look like the Marcus Gasol that, that I'm familiar with. Kind of like Chris Paul in the in yeah. the Warriors and the Rocket series where you're going, boy, he's just on empty. Yeah, and I, and you don't know. Maybe maybe he can reach down and get uh, and, and recover some of from some of his past abilities uh, on occasion. I don't know. I, I'm not sure about Gasol at this point. I don't know whether which is the anomaly, when he plays poorly or when he plays well. Mm, I would say when he plays poorly, I guess, is that... You, well, st- you still think he's got it? I still think he's got Well, he, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm a little torn because he does look like a, a different player, but, but that's the thing with a savvy veteran, you know. He's got to find ways to, to affect to affect the game, right? And he certainly did last night. Yeah. Yeah, and so now the Raptors have new life and won their two games at home. Now what happens, this game five is really important, obviously, in this series. Can the Raptors win in Milwaukee? Go on the road? Yeah. I think it would be more likely in a game seven than a game five. Okay. I think it's probably going to be pretty a pretty big ask to have uh, the Raptors beat the Bucks three games in a row. I mean, I think and, the, and these teams are so evenly matched. Okay. Yeah, uh, they are. And we wondered about this because we've been talking about these two teams. I think we've circled both of them for a long time now. And, uh, yeah, and meanwhile, the Warriors are just twiddling their thumbs. What would you make of uh, Drake last night and his act? Well, I mean, what was that? Get that buffoon off What's the he court. Doing? Yeah, get it. Like, that is ridiculous. Who, who empowered him to do that? Well, he is part owner. I know, of the but team. that doesn't matter. I, I agree it doesn't matter, but 
I mean, who empowered him to do that. I suppose he empowered himself. How wealthy is he, by the way? Remember, because you looked up his net worth because he bought that jet that was that cost about a billion dollars or something, and that seemed like it was more than his net worth, but maybe we got that wrong. Uh, let's see. Uh, Drake's net worth comes in between 100, 140, and 150 $150 million, $150 So he, he bought a jet that's worth more than his net worth. I don't know. How can you do that? I, I don't know. The, what was the uh, price tag on the jet? It was a lot, whatever mm. it was. It's but, like a 767 or something. And Giannis's, uh, I guess, uh, agency that represents him uh, sent out a tweet and said, um, imagine a gig and an athlete on VIP seats right next to the band stands up on stage uh, just to show off during the entire game, knowing cameras are on him, <laughs> occasionally even massaging the singer. Security and him uh, both allow it. Never seen anything as disrespectful as this before. Because Drake's all over Giannis, and yeah. and I, I I think it's a little embarrassing. I to be do honest. too. And he's massaging Nick Nurse, and I, I mean, I I think if we're going to hold fans to a standard, and that's been a, certainly a topic of conversation around yes. the league this year, mm-hmm. I absolutely think that should apply to Drake as yeah. well. Well said. Regardless of his celebrity, or as as you point out, his status as whatever percent owner of the team, you've got to that's crossing the line. I mean, come on. So does does fame and wealth enable one to do pretty much to break the rules? Well, you tell me, Gordon. I mean, it doesn't seem like it should. Do you break a lot of rules? No. Are you kidding me? I'm very compliant. Okay. But do you feel like you could break a lot of no. rules? <laughs> no. No. No, no, no. We're all equal. Okay. But that's what I was thinking of. I was going, wait a minute. How come How come he can do that? Who he said, shouldn't be able to. Yeah. He shouldn't be able to. He needs to. Somebody needs to get into uh, Will there be a fine coming? Or? I don't know. But he needs some restraint because that, I mean. I get he, it. He's a big fan. Sorry. Yeah. You know. And, I mean, and think think Spike Lee back in the day. Uh, he still goes to Knicks games, obviously. But you know, those showdowns with Reggie Miller and that sort of thing. That's just Spike yelling from his seats. You know. He's not. He's not out there on the floor. I mean, yeah, you can you can behave like a fan. You know, Drake, you're part owner of the team. You're a fan of the Raptors. I get it. You can behave like a fan all you want. Mark Cuban uh, regularly sits in uh, kind of the normal seats and behaves like a fan. That's fine. But get get off the court. What are you doing? If you own the building, uh, it, it might be tempting, you know. It's kind of like your living room. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> if somebody, if some owner walked out there in his PJs, uh, you know, that might not be good. Uh, yeah. But you know, when you, if Gail decided to get angry, which she 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 might get angry, but she would never demonstrate that in that manner, and she just walked right out on the court. I mean, it's her court. She owns the building. It's her court. She could put a TV out there and put a lazy boy lounger out there if she wanted. I, I think I, we can probably pretty safely say that Gail has never been tempted to act like like Drake did last night, regardless no, of, no of her ownership of the building. And regardless of whether, you know, I mean, it, it's just there's a time and a place. And if you want to get all riled up like that, then, then do it privately. You know, don't uh, try to impose or affect 
the way the game is going or the way players feel about themselves by stepping out like that. That I agree with you completely. Wait, just too far. Just yep. be, behave like a normal fan. We get it. You're excited. Right. A lot of people are excited. That old building was excited. But uh, didn't Jimmy Buffett get uh, thrown out of a game once in Miami? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. Passionate fan, Jimmy. <laughs> now, Jimmy loves him. He might be heat. the one guy that I would let uh, let have a little leeway. <laughs> then why? <laughs> Just cause he's Jimmy Buffett. Well, a lot of people out there are probably saying he's Drake. Let him get away no, with it. It's not the same. How is it not the same? Because Buffett's been doing it for five decades, and he just—he's—he's he's an entrepreneur. He's a musician, terrific musician. He's—he's uh, he's an author. He's uh, he's accomplished in a lot of areas. And Out, outside of being old, you could apply all this to Drake. <laughs> Is Drake an author? So uh, he's bound to he's have a written... nice airplane. I know that. So let, let me just uh, get this straight. So <laughs> it's not celebrity or wealth that it's allow you to do whatever you want. It's old people get to do whatever they want. <laughs> Come on, he's old. Let him do whatever. It's fine. He's lived a long life. He's lived a great life. Who's lived a better life, Jimmy Buffett or Kenny Chesney? Oh, well, Jimmy, why do you say Kenny Chesney? Because they both... He, because he ripped off Jimmy Buffett's act? <laughs> because they live in shorts and uh, and island t-shirts and shirts, and then they live on a beach. That's what they do. And, went to Kenny. and then they float around on boats, and they have they have a bunch of they have an entourage of people in swimsuits. I went to uh, Kenny Chesney's birthday party once. It was a good time. How'd that happen? Uh, I was in Nashville uh, for a bachelor party, and one of uh, our friends who came along lives in L.A. and is dialed into that scene. And uh, had he said, guess what, guys? I've got VIP passes to Kenny Chesney's birthday party at some big bar in uh, in Nashville. And so we went. It was fun. Doesn't uh, – uh, who's the guy who owns uh, Virgin Air, Air Atlantic? Is that uh, Richard Branson? Something like that. Yeah, he's got an island down there in the Caribbean, too. In fact, I think that island really got nailed by that one hurricane. All right. We are, but anyway. We are really far away from the – the point now. All right. I, I don't see how Jimmy Buffett and Drake are all that much different, though. You, <laughs> you still haven't really explained that one to me. Well, I mean, I don't encourage that behavior, but if somebody was going to do that, I would. Jimmy would have a little wider berth for me than Drake. Okay. And Drake, besides that, Drake is obnoxious. He goes. From, he's he constantly is following the team around and and doing. He's done this before. Well, he's so, constantly following any team around that's winning. <laughs> okay. All right. He's a real front runner, except he <laughs> loves his Raptors. All right. Uh, coming up next, good news today for one Rudy Gobert. We'll uh, tell you about it straight ahead right here on The Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is DJ and PK. 
Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst. I see some similarities between Jake Heaps and Zach Wilson. What would be your counsel to this young kid? It would be to just do your best to keep all your energy focused within that locker room. Looking back, Jake, and due to no fault of his own, some of the influences around him were encouraging him, like, you have to create a brand. And unfortunately, I think it maybe got out of hand a little bit to where the expectations became unattainable for anybody. I think Zach's done a good job uh, managing that so far. Focus on football. Focus on that locker room. Really weave yourself into the fabric of leadership, and that can be the best thing he can do to increase their chances for success in this 2019 season. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 till 10. Presented by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Right here on the big show. Kick it. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Network. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I, se- I selected the Grateful Dead today. You did the Dead because of the tie-dye? Yeah, look, my shirt has Jerry Garcia on it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't see that part of it. Inspired. Man of the Day brought to you by Live Nation Concerts. Buy concert tickets and get the latest tour news and artist insight at LiveNation.com. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. He covers college football for The Athletic. He is Stuart, Man- uh, Stuart Mandel with us on the big show. Hi, Stuart. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Hey, we're doing great. Love it that we're talking a little off-season college football with all these kind of post-spring top 25s and those things coming out. Let's start off, uh, talk a little bit about Utah returning a lot of players, a lot of people uh, thinking they're the favorite in the South. Would you agree with that assessment? I do. And in fact, when I did my uh, post-spring top 25 a couple weeks ago, uh, I didn't necessarily intend to do this, but ended up ranking Utah the highest of any Pac-12 team, um, I think that they, two things, I think, you know, people who maybe only know what the final record was uh, don't necessarily realize how well that team was playing before suffering some devastating injuries on offense. So I'm looking at them more as that team than I am the team that scored three points in the Pac-12 championship game. And then, you know, everybody has questions, obviously, this time of year, but compared to the amount of losses Washington is, is trying to replace uh, some of the other teams, I felt like, well, you know what? I think Utah may have the fewest, relatively speaking, the fewest question marks on the Pac-12 team. You know, it's interesting uh, because Kyle Whittingham talked about the, 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 the ramp up to where they are now, having to catch up in talent with the rest of the Pac-12 coming from the Mountain West, and uh, I think they're there, Stuart. I, I think they're right there, just like you do, and I think you have them rated higher than any other ranking I've seen. I had them 12th. Um, now, that speaks to kind of the, 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 the down cycle the Pac-12 is in right now. It's the highest-ranked Pac-12 team is 12th, but yeah, I mean, they, uh, I mean, first of all, Kyle Whittingham has not uh, shied away from the fact he thinks this is the best defensive line he's ever had, which is saying something, because they've had a lot of good ones there. Uh, but, you know, I feel like for for years it's been a broken record. Is this the year Utah is going to have a more explosive offense? Is this the year? And for that stretch in whatever it was, October, early November last year, when they were putting up 40 points every week, we finally saw it. 
and then just worst possible luck losing Huntley and Moss. So uh, with them back, you know, I know that they lost some pieces elsewhere, but yeah, it looks like you've got the makings of a team that can finally um, say that it's got a lot of proven talent on both sides of the ball. Stuart, what do you think the odds are of Clay Hilton riding the ship there at USC? Pretty slim, to be honest. Um, you know, it's not. I do think that Graham Harrell was, you know, was a good pickup, not as glamorous as Cliff Kingsbury, but a good offensive coordinator. So it's it's not so much that. I mean, I do think they'll be better. They have players, but if you look at the schedule, the first half of that schedule is just brutal. You know, there's there's no there's no easy game in there. And so when you're a coach who's on the hot seat, you know, every week is a referendum on your job. And so they could be a much better team. And if they start four and two, everybody's going to want them fired. And, you know, it's going to be hard to overcome that. So, you know, they're going to have to really, really, you know, they have to block some upsets, frankly, in that first part of the year so that, you know, they have a really good record and then be in contention at the end of the season for the Pac-12 title. Because I do think, you know, it's not just like getting back to a bowl with him. The, the, the bar at USC is obviously much higher. They need to be in the mix for the Pac-12 title at the end. Stuart, it's been reported by the Pac-12 itself that its individual teams are getting like $20 million less than some of the other power conferences, and they have not really been at the same level competitively with some of the other power conferences. Are those two things related? Yeah, I'm, I seem to be in the minority who's not freaking out about that uh, in terms of football at least. I think it's a coincidence. I think every conference goes through up and down cycles, maybe with the exception of the SEC, and the Pac-12 is in a down cycle right now. But, uh, you know, if you look back to before the current TV deal, uh, this would have been like 2010, 2011, you know, you had teams that were getting $6 million a year from their conference in the Pac-12, not $30 million, $6 million. And Oregon played in the national championship. And Stanford with Andrew Luck was really good. So, you know, the, the revenue gap to me, where they're going to start to feel it at some point, is actually where the Pac-12 is currently dominant, and that's in the Olympic sports. You know, they're the conference of champions. They've long been uh, far ahead of the other conferences as a whole in, in the less glamorous sports, if you will. But now suddenly the Big Ten's giving their schools $50 million a year, uh, which is insane. And you got to spend that money somewhere. You can't pay the players. You can only, you know, install so many waterfalls in your locker room. So I assume they're going to be spending a lot more money to support the non-revenue sports. And suddenly, not the Pac-12 is going to start spending less on theirs, but that gap might start to close. Stuart Mandel of The Athletic with us on 97.5 and, and 1280 The Zone. And, Stuart, over the last year or so, it seems like there's been negative stories with Larry Scott every few weeks or every month, whether it's, uh, you know, overdoing it when he stays in Vegas in some, you know, grand <laughs> room or that uh, the replay booth, which was such a disaster last year. What do you think about the job he's doing, and does he deserve the heat that he's getting? Yeah, I mean, I've tried my best to try to separate the issue, Pac-12 has a lot of issues right now. Some of them you can squarely blame on him. Some of them you can't. You know, Larry Scott is not the reason that, you know, USC and UCLA's football programs are so mediocre right now. And, and the fact that they are really drags down the whole conference. Uh, but the officiating situation you mentioned to me was just absolutely inexcusable. And they never, and Woody Dixon, who was at the center of it, is still employed there, absolutely deserves all the heat for that. The optics of that hotel suite, obviously, were not great. 
And, you know, more than anything, you know, the Pac-12 network, the whole strategy of uh, keeping it ownership to themselves, not going on with a cable partner, that's all on him. To this point, it has backfired. The, the, the network's still not on Pac-12 network. Uh, it's the, the amount of revenue it produces for schools is frankly pretty minimal. Now, they're making a big bet that it'll pay off when the next TV contract comes up, and we'll see about that. I don't know if Larry Scott will still be the commissioner by the time that gets here. But, you know, he's really lost the support of most of the ADs and a lot of the presidents in that conference. He's just got a couple presidents who've been there for a long time who are still very much in his corner. Stuart, do you think that independence has really hurt BYU football? Or would, If you were advising them, would you uh, tell them to go a different way? Yeah, that, that uh, eternal question with BYU. Um, you know, I get why you wouldn't, why it would be uh, – I mean, power, there's no Power 5 option right now, and there's pride there, obviously, where you don't want to necessarily go back to the Group of Five conference the Mountain West. Uh, obviously, they have a good situation with ESPN, but they're just kind of in this no-man's land. When they when they agreed to do this in the first place, we were still in the days of the BCF. Uh, the playoff changed everything, and now they're in this kind of no-man's land where they, they uh, like, if you're in the Mountain West, yeah, playoffs a long shot. But at least you have this guarantee that if you win the Mountain West and you're the highest-ranked champion of that group, you're going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. They don't have that automatic entry point, and they don't, in a lot of years, they don't even have a guaranteed bowl to go to, period. So, you know, I just feel like every year since they've done this, even the years where they've had a decent record, you know, they start in the spotlight a little bit because they're playing the big-name opponents, but then they get into that part of the schedule where the big-name opponents are playing in their own conference games, and they just kind of fall off the map. Uh, I think if they're in a conference and vying for conference championships, they would be more relevant, more part of the conversation throughout the season. Taking into account the way Gary left Oregon State, what did you think about Gary Anderson getting the Utah State job? Um, definitely surprised. Uh, I thought, you know, when those, when those text messages came out, uh, about him just throwing his assistants under the bus on his way out of town in Oregon State. I mean, I really thought that guy's never going to be a, head, a college head coach again. Like, who, who would trust him? Uh, but he happened to land at the one school that where this could be possible. He, he would not have gotten a head coaching job, I don't think, at any other FBS school. But Utah State, where he obviously had success, and there's still a lot of admiration for him, from the, especially from the donors there, um, were willing to make it happen, frankly, kind of, against the wishes of their own AD. So it's been surprising, to say the least. Uh, but that doesn't mean that he can't make it work. I mean, he's made it work before. Stuart, I'd say you hit that one right on the head. That's exactly what <laughs> yeah. happened. You are exactly right. I'm curious, though. Have you had a chance to watch Jordan Love play the quarterback at Utah State? He's pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, not as much as I'd like to. Uh, I think, you know, going into this season, He'll be definitely on our radar, so you want to tune in and watch. But yes, he is really good, and um, I'm interested. I'm most interested to see not just what he can do, but can he and that offense keep this up with with, with, the, with the coaching change? Right? Like it's one thing to lose your head coach; it's another thing to lose your head coach and the offensive coordinator who really spearheaded, you know, this this fantastic transformation they had at Utah State. It's not like they were putting up uh, the kind of numbers they did last year. Uh, the whole time uh, that um, Coach Wells was there, this was really towards the end 
with a very specific offensive coordinator. Now he's gone to Texas Tech, too. So a lot of change there. Hopefully they can keep it up. I'm excited to see him play this season. I have a, a question that uh, ranks right up there with the, what's the meaning of life. <laughs> How does Nick Saban do what he does at Alabama? Um, that's not an easy question to answer in simple form. You know, um, it's been going for so long at this point that uh, it just it's like every new class that comes in is handed the handbook and they know what they have to do. And they do it, and it's just frankly kind of amazing that they've never had, to this point at least, usually at some point you bring in a class that just doesn't pan out. They don't. They bring in these highly ranked recruiting classes every year, and all those four and five stars end up in the NFL three years later. It's, it's amazing. Now, the amount of turnover he's had on his coaching staff the past two years is unprecedented. You know, it was a big turnover uh, last offseason. And then, you know, a bunch of new coaches and then a bunch of those guys after only one year are now gone too. So you would think that would catch up to them at some point, you know, not having any continuity really on that coaching staff. It's really Nick Saban. At this point, it's Nick Saban and a bunch of guys who have barely worked for him. But, you know, I've, I've stopped trying to predict when the dynasty will end. It'll, it'll, it'll end when they're actually eight and four and, um, and we can see it with our own eyes. I mean, it was definitely shocking to see them get blown out in the national championship game. That was not something we'd seen before. Um, but I'll believe it when I see it, that they're actually going to be, um, you know, have that down year that they haven't had in over a decade. One more question for you from me, Stuart. As you, you've been covering college football for a long time, you've been coming on our shows for a long time. I don't mean to make it sound like you're old or anything, just wise. <laughs> you're very wise. What do you think is the greatest challenge facing college football moving forward or college sports in general for that matter um you know specific to college football i think that while the playoff has been very exciting and you know a natural step that the sport was always going to take probably at some point uh it's had this unintended effect of really um you know focusing on this one part of the country for the most part. The South, I don't think you could have anticipated that not just the SEC, but the SEC and Clemson would dominate that event so much. And so as it's a combination of not just that, but as the sport becomes more and more about the playoffs, um, and, and you know the fact that guys are now skipping major bowl games tells you just how the separation between the importance of the playoff and everything else, there is a danger of, you know, that, that, the non-Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State for the world might start to lose a little bit of interest. If you're a, a fan of Purdue or Illinois or any number of these schools who realistically are not going to be in the playoffs, whether even if you expand it to eight, but you know they're going any given years to make the Outback Bowl. That would be a really good season. You know, that's become so devalued that I think that that's what they have to worry about, that college football becomes um, just so, so focused on this, this really, frankly, kind of small pool of schools that in any given year are realistic playoff contenders and that everybody else feels like they're playing in a different sport. So, you know, that's why that's a big reason why you're starting to see uh, people like Tim Delaney and Barry Alvarez, you know, important people say, yeah, we are open actually now to talking about an 18 playoff because they feel like, I mean, the Pac-12 hasn't even been part of the playoff conversation the last couple of years. They feel like this has become more of a regional event than a national event. I wonder what the solution is to that, because remember when they went to 85 scholarships, it seems like you saw more upsets. You saw more, a little more balance, at least. I, I wonder, 
that question really doesn't have an answer, does it? Yeah, I don't know what you can do about parity. Um, and you're right. It did seem like when I went to 85, what it, I mean, it did open the door for, you know, Northwestern to go to the Rose Bowl, Wake Forest to have a, uh, you know, go to, go to the Orange Bowl one year. But it hasn't really changed who the, you know, the reigning powers are. I mean, Clemson would be, you know, kind of an exception, although they've won a national title in their recent past. So, you know, I think all they can really do is think about, okay, you know, the sport has always been about you have to excel your entire season to make the national championship. Four teams kind of keeps it that way. But there is now an argument that probably half the country has that go to eight, bring in every you know major conference champion, no matter what their record is, um, give a birth to the group of five, and so that the whole country knows going into the season that somebody, somebody from that part of the country is going to be in the playoff and that the season is about identifying who that team will be. Here, here. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for making a few minutes for us. We always appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. The great Stuart Mandel makes the magic happen for The Athletic. Uh, make sure to check out his work, and he's been he's been doing a great job covering college football for a long time. He's one of the best at it, there's no doubt. Let's talk about that a little bit when we come back, what he said there at the end, how, how, how you can spread out the interest a little more and keep it alive. Because if, if teams like USC, these, these sort of – traditional powers feel like they they got no shot or a team from your conference really is <laughs> your best team has no shot uh, does that diminish the interest for football fans in various regions around the country i think he's on to something you mean my whole argument for keeping the bcs then no i uh, mean because that's what it's, that's what it expanding sounds expanding like. the playoff to include every P5 league champion. Oh, oh. And okay. then having maybe three at large teams oh, join in. I see. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. We'll have more coming up next. It is <laughs> That's the big one show. thing you have, you have never been right on, and you still aren't. Now, some of the other things, you were right, and I'll admit that. This one, I'm still very right for the reasons that Stuart just talked no, about. No, 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 no. You, did you listen to what he said I about the did. solution? Did you? Uh, he, oh. We'll talk about it. All right, we'll get into it coming up next. Stay tuned. It's the Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is Tony Parks and Austin Horton. It is time now for the Produce Freakness. There they are headed off for the early start. The apple has the very early lead. The carrot is in second right now. The carrot in third, and he's now passed by the banana, who's now in third. And down the stretch they come. The apple is still extending out to an even bigger lead. Headed towards that finish line. Up and over the mound with no problem. Carrot stumbles and falls. Corn falls to the finish line. The apple's the winner. Oh, really? Really, really excited. Well done, Tony Parks. Well done, everyone at the Bees game over there at Smith's Ballpark. I was sweating, yelling into my microphone. Come on, banana! I broke a sweat during the produce preakness. Tony Parks and Austin Horton. Weekdays from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Check this out! Your home for Utah's best sports radio is right here on the Zone Sports Network. You're locked on to the big show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Till the morning comes. 
Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Want to remind you about our friends at Ivory Homes, Utah's number one home builder. Ivory Homes brings experience, quality, and design to every home and community they build. Learn more at ivoryhomes.com. Gordon Stewart Mandel joined us in the last segment. Big thanks to him from The Athletic. And he uh, he talked about, well, you asked an interesting question about what's the biggest problem facing college football. And he went the direction of, um, unless you're one of those big-time programs with the college football playoff, the care factor may drop if you're not one of those teams or never going to be one of those teams. And used as an example, players not playing in bowl games but going to the NFL, uh, get ready for the NFL instead. Okay, so if you increase the meaning of each individual conference title, then you stir more interest for college football in all different regions around the country. So if each of those champions gets an invite to the to the tournament, to the, to the playoff, then that would help sustain interest in all regions of the country. And that's the way to do it right because you can't make bad teams good they have to do that themselves i've always liked the idea of automatic bids to conference champions if you were going to go down this direction of having a college that surprises me because i thought you would want to limit that playoff because you want to uh you don't like it in the first place well if you're gonna do it do it right okay but I, I also think part of that byproduct of, of the not care factor is because the playoffs do diminish uh, regular season and it does diminish other postseason games. Well, it wouldn't diminish it. Uh, it. It could add there, too, if each conference champion gets right. in. And then if you add three at-large teams, including a group of five, now you've got a mix that makes it now interesting. Now, they may not get very far past a, a Clemson or an Alabama, but... Still, they'd be in the mix. So you're saying, uh, so what you're proposing is the six conference title, uh, or excuse me, the five, five and then three at large, of, including five. Okay, so one that, from the group of five, and then two at, and large, two at bids. large. Okay, all right. I don't think you need to include the group of five. Automatic uh, qualifier, but that's Cinderella. Uh, well, then, if, if they're worthy, give them an, an at large bid. Yeah, I don't know how you can because if you if you give them the automatic bid, you're going to get stuck some years with. Some random that's not very good. There's usually, I mean, I can't. Most years, there's a good team that comes out of the rest. Now, whether they're at that level or not, it's, it's again, this is a mechanism to create interest. And I guarantee you that that group of five would be rooting for the, the team that comes out of there. And uh, that would create uh, a greater uh, desire to see what's going to happen. Yeah. No? I, I just don't think it should be a requirement. I think it should be considered. I just don't think they should get an automatic bid. What are you going to base that on then? Since that's the problem with that is that it, it, it adds more politics to what goes on every year. Well, you're never getting rid of that. Yeah. I'd like to limit it if possible. Yeah, well. Uh, but I, I do think if you're going to have a playoff, I like the idea of having – automatic bids for conferences because i do i do think it would add interest to a conference race obviously and since it's currently structured now i mean if you make it to a new year's six game 
it's it's really turning into just another bowl game because you're on the outside looking in of the playoffs. So the reward of that isn't what it once was. So I think this would only increase interest if you did the automatic bid. I agree with that. So I wonder, this is something we should know, but I wonder how fans for teams like he mentioned Illinois and who was the other one he mentioned I, that, that where fans would have a hard time maintaining interest. I don't know. He mentioned the Purdue teams. Purdue. Or you could include, what about BYU? BYU is a school that has to pretty much go undefeated in order to get in, right? To the playoff or the New Year's yeah, Six? to the playoff. Oh, yeah. Even then, they're probably not getting in. So, uh, do BYU fans, I mean, I mean, how do they react to that? Do they, do they just... Do they care about their football team the way they once did, or is the fact that that stadium isn't as full as it once was uh, an indication that uh, that they're, they, they're, there's a hopelessness about the whole pursuit? Well, that's one big downside of independence is your access to this sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. And and the thing is, is how often does that actually matter, though? You know, how many how many times in its history has BYU put together? You know, a truly title, national title right. contending team. It's it's happened. Don't give me. It's happened. You know, Lavelle in the glory years. Right. It's happened a, a couple of times, but that is you know, once every twenty years, once every thirty years. So it doesn't yeah. really come into play all that often. But as far as access goes, it, it's a huge downside of of BYU being independent. That's why it's always that argument between what is what stirs the most interest. Being able to play a number of teams that are kind of big name marquee type teams around the country, or having a conference to play within, even if it isn't a P five, and you have something to play for and to stir interest throughout. I think it's a big deal, but BYU fans, when we've had this this conversation in the past, don't think it's as big a deal. I yeah. I think it's just a bunch of exhibitions that have a weird vibe around it because i mean how much did wisconsin actually care about that byu game not saying that they didn't want to win on that particular saturday and i'm not trying to byu played a great game that day but how how much did that actually affect wisconsin i mean how much did their fans get into playing byu it's just oh, kind it's, of it's just like any other right. non-conference game which i think is important to every fan base but byu has all non-conference games right and I, I think it takes away juice from BYU football. I really do. There was a time when I thought that uh, it was more interesting playing, having an opportunity to play a bunch of teams uh, around that are kind of big-name teams. But uh, over the last year or so, I think my perspective has changed on that. Uh, it, it, fans want something to win, and BYU doesn't have much to win. And I do think there's something to be said about uh, having history playing against the teams because, you know, Wisconsin, again, to use this example, tough loss against BYU, they'll never think about that again. And you imagine if they had, if that was one, had an impact on a conference race, and two, there was a rematch the next year. You know, Mount, the Mountain West Conference isn't full of uh, a ton of big-name opponents, but you remember when Utah lost to uh, UNLV uh, that one year when Frank yeah. the Tank Summers ran all over them? Mm-hmm. And remember the next year? Uh, Wit was blasting the big payback in practices, and and Utah went out and just absolutely steamrolled UNLV, and that meant that meant a lot to that particular football team, not because it was UNLV, but because of the history of it, right? 
you know, but you can't have both in the case of BYU because you can't have the the Wisconsin uh, and something to play for. It's, you it's absolutely one of, it's still one can. Other. Well, maybe you can if you if you are lucky enough to get a couple of uh, non conference games of that caliber. You still have four non conference games. You absolutely can still play those teams. So I wonder why they don't uh, reconsider. Well, I mean, I think their explana- uh, explanation would be the cash that they're making far more money as an independent than they would in a conference. That I mean, that's that's I the only reason. Wonder what they're losing to do at the gate by having all those empty seats down there. Yeah, I wonder. All right, we'll have more coming up next. Stay tuned. It is the Big Show, ninety-seven-five and twelve-eighty. The Zone. We want to remind you about uh, our friends at the Warehouse. Join uh, Scotty and Hans coming up tomorrow from noon to three at the Warehouse, nineteen sixty-seven South, three hundred West. Prices so low it will blow your mind. The Warehouse. More straight ahead here on the Big Show, ninety-seven-five and twelve-eighty. The Zone.